This is the Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 11, Madagascar, Sequels and Duos. We don't change! Welcome to the Rotoscopers Podcast, a podcast for animation addicts, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Burt. And I'm here with my lovely co-hosts, Chelsea Robson. Robson. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) And I'm here with my lovely co-host, Chelsea Robson. Thank you. I got it right this time, right? Good job, good job. And my even lovelier co-host, Mason Smith. I told you I'd be back. (laughs) So, should I explain why I can't get Chelsea's name? Or should you explain? Uh, you explain first, and then I'll fill in. Okay, I moved into... Because you're not really her best friend. <laughs> no, we, we pretend to be best friends for the show, but we're really not best friends. We don't, we don't like each other at all. No. Well, no, the thing is, when I moved into this area, I was in the fourth grade, and Chelsea, her name was Robeson, and it was Robeson through elementary school, junior high, high school, and college. And just within the last year, like, Chelsea and I, we didn't get to see each other for three years. She was in Brazil, and I was a different part of the country, and we didn't really internet access for that time so when i come back and chelsea finally comes back all of a sudden the name has been switched to robson and so imagine me having done this for 15 years calling her robson 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 it's kind of hard to switch especially since they just flipped it on me okay here's what happened my family goes back like a couple generations it was always robson and then at like my grandpa for some reason he decided to change it to robson and so my dad and all of his family grew up robson and then when this generation came along my brothers decided hey we need to go back to the original way of saying the name blah 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 blah, blah. i'm like oh brother I'm, i have to change my name and i'm not even getting married this sucks <laughs> so yeah it's it's kind of a lame story, but it's it's what <laughs> happened. So that's why half of our bloopers are me messing Chelsea's name up. It's not because I'm not really her friend. <laughs> that's our story. We're sticking to it. Yeah. Robson. Right. Robson. It takes a while, but you'll get there. So for those who are listening, I haven't been here the last couple of episodes. I've been home in Texas. Welcome home. Welcome Get my crap together. No, it's not like I'm in boot camp or anything. But, um, <laughs> so I listened to, what was it, episode nine where y'all did the, the sing-off? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought it was really good. I thought it was like a golden Morgan and Chelsea episode. Oh, thanks. Thank you. So y'all did great. That that is what happens when Mason leaves the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I can kind of see why that guy at the Wreck-It Ralph, the test screen that y'all went to, um, called y'all, what is it? A fangirl podcast? Oh, yeah. Fangirls. No, fangirl podcasters review the yeah. Wreck-It Ralph. Fangirl, yeah, fangirls. <laughs> I'm like, are we really that obvious? <laughs> oh, jeez. So it's a good thing I'm back to, like, put some testosterone into this podcast so I can be like a fanboy instead of a fangirl. <laughs> we need balance in our lives. Yes. Thank you, Mason. What have you been up to? What have you been watching in animation? Or how's your animated life been? Oh man, <laughs> this this animated life has been insane. I'm just about to finish my portfolio to send into BYU Animation, and it's looking really good. 
check out my blog at thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com if you want to see my progress. Yay! And I, yeah. and I try to, I try to do, <laughs> I try to do some like movie reviews of of notable animated films that I watch, and then you know do some scans for my sketchbook just so y'all can see it. So the purpose of the blog, I guess, is to kind of like let our listeners and and fans kind of get to know me a little bit better. If you like me, then you like my blog. It's true. Other than that, I've been um, I've been watching a couple of animated films. Let's see. Well, I've been watching a lot of X Men episodes. Awesome. I'm currently on the first, still in the first half of season four. Oh, I think there's five seasons, right, that they have available. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, so I've been watching that. Um, there were some pretty crazy episodes. Like towards the end of season three, the Nightcrawler episode. It really, oh, yeah. it really surprised me with how Christian it is. Yes, yes. At the end, I think Nightcrawler, like, because like Wolverine, he's so tough and he has like issues with faith. And Nightcrawler like hands him a Bible at the end of the episode. Yeah. He's like, "It's like read this, my friend, and be at peace." Yeah, that would never happen on TV. That would today. never happen on TV now, yeah. much less Wolverine. Well, and, not necessarily because like the Avengers, like you have Captain America. Oh yeah, he's strong. He stands for good, strong Christian American values. Exactly. So I mean, if you're wanting to go back to, but he's not wielding a Bible. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's the shield of faith, like the Bible has. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, maybe. Oh, we can. Maybe this is a, another Ooh. nerdy couch discussion. <laughs> Except for X Men, that's that's amazing. Wolverine acts so tough in the X Men cartoon series, but he never really kills anyone that he says he's gonna kill. If you ever know, <laughs> he's always like, "How about you tango with these, bub?" And he like. <laughs> Out, ching, you know, you know, it never fails. Like something goes wrong that Wolverine doesn't like, and he just brings out the claws. It's like I ordered salt, or he's like, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He's like, I didn't order mayonnaise on these. Now I'm gonna cut you up, ching, ching, you know. Or he's like, I don't feel like doing my taxes today, ching, <laughs> ching. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love Wolverine. You spelled my name wrong, bub. Ching, ching. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So those are just the movies. I've been watching. I'll, I'll probably put some reviews on the quirky moments of X Men on my blog. It depends on how far I get uh, finishing up my portfolio this week. But yeah, I mean, it's been fun. Like I've just been in here in Texas, full time working on 3D projects and sketchbook projects. And um, yeah, all I'm going to say is I better get in that dang program. Seriously, here's a little push for Mason. He deserves it. All hope lies on you. Oh no, you're the hope in the animated world. Yeah. Well, I wish the ring had never come to me, Gandalf. <laughs> school this week with Marissa. About every night, she likes to put in a movie of just whichever movie she wants. Let's see. We watched Mighty Ducks 2, and that was a good one. Uh, We also watched Lion King 1 and a half. We've never seen that. It's all all right. You know, it wasn't like fantastic, but it'll go into really well with our Nerdy Couch discussion today. Perfect. And then, classically, I watched Pebble and the Penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Predecessor to all current Penguin films. That is classic. I know, right? (laughs) That's like vintage Penguin movies. It's hipster Penguin movies. They did did Penguin, Don Bluth did Penguins before all these other guys did Penguins. It's true. I was going to say hipster, but I didn't know we were allowed to say that word on the podcast. Oh, no, it's not a banned word. I think it's okay. Okay. Morgan wants to be one secretly. What? What? 
Uh, Far from it. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was my week. I, we watched we watched quite a bit of movies at my house. Awesome! Wow, we all watched very diverse things this week. I watched the first six episodes of The Last Airbender: The Legend of Korra. It's like a mini series from the Avatar: The Last Airbender series that was on Nickelodeon. So this series is on Nickelodeon, and it's been four years since the last series. So there's like all this anticipation. If you don't know what the Avatar series is, the last series followed the Avatar who can control all the elements of fire, water, wind, and earth. And he's the only person in the world who can control all four. And everyone else they can control none or or one. Anyway, so the Avatar is reincarnated every time that he or she dies. So the last series followed the Avatar Aang, and this series is 70 years in the future and follows the new Avatar Korra. And she is way awesome. She's a beast. I love her. I love her. I'm loving this series way more than the last series just because he was like 10, 11, and, and she's a little older, maybe like late teens. And so it's a little bit more mature. There's a lot of like political themes that really kind of, I, I'm sure, would go over little kids' heads. The animation is beautiful. It's kind of it's American animation, but it's based on elements of Japanese animation. But it's not so crazy, you know, where their their heads get really big randomly and then their mouth gets huge and then just their eyes bug out. I mean, it, it stays pretty true to, like, model, I guess. But, yeah, so the first series is on Netflix, and this series is on Nickelodeon Saturday mornings at 11. And so I am loving it. So if you, even if you haven't seen the last series, I would recommend watching this one because it's really good. Awesome. Well, Morgan, you also had a bit of a story that happened this week. Oh, yes. So I'm getting married this week. Hey! And by the time this is all to be married. And so Chelsea, she planned my bachelorette party. And it was clean bachelorette party, like no nonsense. And so <laughs> what we did is we went to sushi. And then afterwards, we went to Don Bluth Front Row Theater. My Wait, who said, whoever said sushi was clean? Well, like, I love sushi. There's no strippers at a sushi place. <laughs> oh. There's strips of freshwater eel. <laughs> okay. Touche. Yeah, he's got that one. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, we got to go to the play, and it was called Star Spangled Girl, and it was really good. And I just thought it was the best thing I could ever do for a bachelorette party ever because, you know, big fan of Don Bluth. I love the theater. It's it's great. And then, you know, they're all going at the very end during the ovation, and they're, they're taking their bows or whatever. And the, there's only three characters in the whole play. So it was a really small, intimate production. And the, the lead come walks off stage. You know how they usually walk off? They come back on. And he comes back on with, like, a thing of flowers. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Someone gave him flowers. And he turns around. And he's like, what does he say? He's like, this bouquet of flowers and this picture right here, this is for Morgan Burt, who decided to spend her bachelorette party with us tonight at Don Bluth Front Row Theater. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave me these beautiful bouquet of roses. And even better, Don Bluth had drawn like an original sketch of Anastasia that day and dated it and and gave it to me. So, oh my gosh! I know. <laughs> I was. It's so funny because when we walked in and we picked up our program, it was just sitting there propped against you know the whole display, the little table. I'm like, oh cool, he drew that. You know, of course I noticed it. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. he drew that. He drew that today. Maybe he, they're gonna have a raffle or maybe they're gonna like give it away. Like, oh, I hope I win. <laughs> and then later, like it was actually for me, and I was just like so flattered and so like honored in a way that they would like think of me and they're like, thanks for thinking of us. And so anyway. 
anyways, I'm definitely going to frame that and put that where I can see it all the time and be inspired. Holy cow, you lucky dog. I know. <laughs> hey, that's what you get for being original and having a bachelorette party someplace unique rather than someplace <laughs> traditional. Trashy. Yeah. <laughs> so it was awesome. So thanks, Don Bluth, and I love it. Thank you, and Don thanks, Bluth. And thank you, Chelsea, for setting hey. that all up. Well, no, I mean, I may have had one or two phone calls, but that's about it. <laughs> no, it was really all, all Don Bluth, Bruno Theater. They are amazing over there. So if you happen to live in the, you know, in Arizona, uh, go and check it out. They're actually, they were just put in Phoenix Magazine as the gem of the city. Yeah, hidden gem of the city. So check them out. They're awesome. We love Don Bluth. We do. Okay. Even before all this, we love Don Bluth. <laughs> but this is just like over the top. I loved him. I loved him before I even knew him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you hate him compared to how much I love him. <laughs> it's a little pre pre Madagascar quote. <laughs> This week's news. Uh, speaking of Don Bluth, our first bit of news comes from him. So the Dragon's Lair comics, which is a comic book series based on the Dragon's Lair Laserdisc game from the 80s, and the comic was also from the 80s, it has been re-released as an app, and the first six issues are available in the App Store on Apple iTunes. So that's huh. pretty exciting. So the first one's free, so you might as well just go get the app just so you could read the first one. Like, the artwork is beautiful. It's done by Don Bluth himself. So this really isn't, like, new news. It's just, hey, I'm re-releasing my old stuff. It's not so great to read on an iPod or iPhone. To me, it was still hard to read when I expanded it to full screen, but maybe on an iPad it'll be better. So, yeah, that's kind of exciting for him. But the more important part about this, in the interviews he did for this this app, he said that he hopes to see a Dragon's Lair film hit theaters by 2013. Wow. Oh, that's so, next year. I, well, that's my thing. I'm like, wow, um, you're still here in Arizona. <laughs> I, I don't believe there's a studio here in Arizona. Yeah. So either you're secretly working on this already and doing your play, you know, full time, or he just has really high hopes for it to be released in 2013, which is two years away, which... I I think is crazy. If it were going to happen, I would love it if it were to happen. But, oh, the other interview, okay, I guess this is where it puts more light on it. He said Gary Goldman is working on getting it funded or getting it greenlit. So it seems to be further along than it has been in the past, because I remember reading, oh, Dragon's Lair film back in 2004. But I think it's it's on the brink of actually happening this time around. So woohoo! Maybe we'll see that 2013. My guess, maybe 14. Yeah, that's a thirteen was just kind of something to tell the fans. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe there was something he did, something that came up. Who knows? Yeah, totally. So the next bit of news, actually, it, it kind of goes along with the graphic novel, but I thought it related a lot to Mason. Ryan Woodward from BYU Animation, he released an interactive graphic novel. Mason, did you read it? Yeah, I saw, that? I saw the preview for it. And, um, and yeah, when you say interactive graphic novel, I mean, that's just it. It's totally different from those motion comics mm-hmm. that we discussed a couple episodes ago, like the Astonishing X-Men. <clears throat> but this, uh, I saw the trailer for it. It's really cool. Like, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of got a, like a baseball story, but it's like, it's more than that. It's like really intense. It's got a lot of drama. 
And Ryan Woodward really knows how to put that into his animations, especially animations of people. Yeah. It's, like, super expressive um, the way he does it. And it definitely has that Ryan Woodward style, not just, like, the choice of line and the way his characters move, but the colors, you know, and the atmosphere. And so I guess is this, this is going to come out, like, on the App Store. Is that the plan that they have for it? Yeah, I don't think it's out yet, but it's being released, yeah. Yeah. It definitely so, uh, isn't a paper comic because you can't really do that on paper. Yeah, definitely not, unless we were in Hogwarts. So, yeah, it sounds really cool. I actually I emailed Ryan Woodward a couple months ago when we first started this podcast and was like, oh, can we interview you sometime? And he was like, he was like, he was like I'd love to, but I'm, like, really busy working on stuff right now. And I'm like, I ignoramusly thought, wow, how busy could he be? But I guess he was, he's always working on projects and stuff. So he must have been working on something like this. Professors have lives, too. <laughs> Financial ones. <laughs> I guess they do. I, I, I haven't taken a class with Ryan Woodward yet, but I've, I've seen a lot of his stuff, and I've been exposed to his work, I guess, a lot, being at BYU. He's, uh, you know, if, if you're at BYU Animation you don't know who Ryan Woodward is, then... Um, not at BYU Animation. Then you're not at BYU Animation. I'm pretty stoked to see it. I wish Ryan Woodward would do, like, cartoons, you know? <laughs> like, have his own cartoon show. That'd be pretty awesome. I'm sure he'd love that, too. Go put a bug in his ear. What I really liked about this is, I don't know, I just liked, you know, looking at the trailer and seeing how, you know, it, the panels were all there, like a traditional comic book, but they were all kind of moving. Or I'm not quite sure how it works. Maybe you click one panel and then that one starts to animate and then you click the next panel and that one animates or if they just animate all at the same time. Mason, were there words to this and uh, like dialogue still? No, I think it was spoken dialogue. So yeah. it didn't have it didn't have speech bubbles. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. It's like it's it's almost a cartoon. It's in between. a. I mean, forget motion comic that's completely different i think it's in between a traditional comic and a cartoon kind of blended so i'm really excited for it it'll be interesting and i just thought that was a nice little plug for for mason because he's talked about him before so he's in the news okay our third bit of news is the trailer for arjun the warrior prince was released it kind of been released before but this is the first trailer since disney bought utv utv is an indian production company that disney bought last year and so pretty much, I mean, this whole film was Disney really didn't have that much to do by producing it. You know, none of the animators in L.A. did much on it or did anything on it. But Disney is just producing and kind of distributing it solely in India. And what I thought was kind of interesting about this is, one, it's one of our top read articles on the website. So a lot of people are wanting to watch this and read about this. And then it's also a cel-shaded 3D animation. So what it is is they, they do 3D animation, and then they put, like, texturing and colors over it that look 2D. So it's 3D, but then they make it flat with the colors. Right. Yeah, one of the most famous examples of cell shading is when they did, oh, what was the first Zelda that came Wind out Waker. on GameCube? I was going to say that. Wind Waker. That's right. Sorry. I wanted to say it first. <laughs> well, and the thing and about... I did. The thing about Wind Waker, okay, so I watched Arjun the Warrior Prince trailer, and I didn't like it. It just felt really unnatural. Like, I had, I was expecting, you know, 2D animations very smooth, typically. I just didn't like it. I felt that the Wind Waker's animation, even though it was video game, was smoother and more natural looking and felt cooler than this. And that's actually kind of sad because typically video game animation is like a lesser form of animation because they just have so much to do. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like it. I, this was not my favorite thing. Well, personally, I don't. You don't see a lot of like high-profile animated films coming out of India. I'm not sure if it's yeah. if it, the term is exactly Bollywood, but at least from in, oh, I India, would say Bollywood, an Indian release animated film. 
the story looks really cool, and I'm sure that uh, the folks in India really appreciate, you know, this kind of... I guess Arjun is kind of a, a legend from over there. Uh-huh. Kind of like our Davy Crockett. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not exactly. Well, <laughs> but, I think... Uh, I kind of thought it was more like Moses. Like, I, it had a Prince of Egypt feel to me. It did. It, it did kind of have that, like, yeah, yeah, some of that stuff, like the chariots and, like, out in the desert. It kind of had, like, this, like, Ben-Hur kind of warmth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, four feathers kind of look. <laughs> but, yeah, the cell shading was distracting, and it, the animation did make it look like a video game. But, that, I mean, that's all about getting the best team of animators out there. Yeah, exactly. This looks pretty solid. It's just not the best team of animators out there just because, you know, what they can afford, but... Um, I'd be kind of interested to see it because there's like battles going on in the trailer, right? Yeah. And so it's like distributed by Disney, so I kind of want to see it. it. Looks like a fun film. Mm-hmm. I hope they, I hope they do like at least a DVD release or like a Netflix release. Yeah, it comes out May 25th in India. There's no set U.S. release date, so we may or may not see it here. But cool. I've got, I've got a little bit of news just real quick. Okay. Uh, on Netflix, watched instantly. Both Invader Zim and SpongeBob SquarePants are on instant watch. Oh dear! <laughs> so, check, so check it out. I only have seasons one and two of SpongeBob on DVD because after the movie, I stopped liking SpongeBob because the episodes just went totally downhill in a different direction. But I've always wanted to watch Invader Zim, so I'm kind of excited that it's on Netflix. So just a heads up to all our people with Netflix out there. Mason wants you to watch it. Yeah. Mason says, "Watch it." Move it. I like to move it. Move it. Well, today we're going to be doing a nerdy couch discussion. Woo! All right, get on your couch. Go nerds! Okay, I got I got this beanbag chair. You stole my chair. Oh, you get the couch. You can share with Mason. Okay. Well, I'm in Texas. You're ruining the illusion. <laughs> Stop it! So we have received some really good emails, and one of them is from a fan named Colleen, and. She had some really nice things to say. Morgan, can you read this email for us? Yes. And so she says, Hi, Chelsea, Morgan, and Mason. I wanted to thank you for making the podcast. It is really great to have a regular podcast about animation, actually. I think you really fill a hole there. As since the brilliant animation podcast, I couldn't really find anything on the topic. So thanks a lot. And she's referring to Clay Cadis's animation podcast, which is just the holy grail of all podcasts. Right. But there hasn't, been, there hasn't been new podcast episodes for about four years because he's gotten, he's pretty big in Disney animation right now. He's like a supervising animator, so it's kind of busy. So let me continue. I also really like the way you have brought up some topics which are related to the marketing side of the animation industry. Being an animator myself, I often get super focused on the animation making process and can miss up other relevant questions, such as the trend to shorter names for animated film titles. So I have a theme that I would like to hear you guys talk about, sequels. With sequels, I am thinking of this trend that Disney is producing all the sequels out there of their best hits, such as The Little Mermaid, Lion King, Pocahontas, which, contrary to some Pixar films, such as Toy Story, didn't get better. I mean, I can't look at Pocahontas 2 without noticing how much the quality has been lessened. Clearly, Glenn Keane wasn't animating on this straight-to-DVD sequel. Maybe it's only me, but I feel really weird to see the character moving without the sincerity of the original film. I also wonder if it really is a viable marketing strategy. Did they produce these films in China and then just make money on the sale? It seems like Disney stopped doing these low-budget sequels. If so, then why? Did the audience lose interest? interest in them. I'm a bit sorry for giving my thoughts on a topic like this. I guess the reason being the sequels were mostly for marketing, but I was thinking you might have some other ideas on the topic. Okay, perfect. This is a perfect uh, segue into what we want to talk about. So the main points that she mentioned were, did they make this 
just for marketing, just to solely gain more money. How do you feel about the sequels in general? And we're going to talk about if if sequels are considered canon. And then, I guess, sequels that are direct to DVD versus theatrical sequels. So mm. let's take it away. Let's let's have a nerdy couch discussion on sequels. Well, I would like oh, to... one last part. Let me read it. <laughs> thank you. Well, thanks Chelsea, a- was ready. Chelsea was ready. Well, thanks a lot for reading. And please keep up on the good podcast. Oh, yeah. Why thanks, Colleen. <laughs> We've talked about sequels before. And we've talked about, you know, are they really canon? Like, are these, like, the real continuations of the story? Um, When it comes to sequels, it's different for every time period. I think, for example, let's go back to Walt Disney and The Triumph of the American Imagination, which you can find on audible.com, the Internet's leader in audiobooks. Over 100,000 downloadable titles to choose from. How do you like that play? Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. (laughs) But really, go and check it out. It's awesome. Audibletrial.com backslash the rotoscopers. Yes. It's a good thing. You can actually read this book or listen to it. Mm -hmm. In Chapter 9, they bring up the incident in 1933, when after the immense success of Walt Disney's Three Little Pigs cartoon, uh, Roy and some of the other executives who had distributed the cartoon wanted him to create sequels. Walt grudgingly did so, and though they were well-received, they never reached the height of the original. And afterwards, Walt said, you can't top pigs with pigs. And this actually became his mantra. Uh, Now, I can see both sides of the story, uh, because at the time, in 1933, they were having a lot of problems with business. Mm-hmm. Like they were just, they were just trying to do anything to get the money. And Roy is the classic going to keep my brother in business. Yes. <laughs> and Walt was just the, I'm going to dream as far as I can dream <laughs> and build it and they will come, you know, but Roy's like, Oh brother, <laughs> we need to, we need to make sure that we make money here. So they put these little projects in so that the big projects could have funding. Sometimes these sequels aren't really what we would want, but at the same time, it, it helps the bigger picture. So what is your guys' thoughts right now? I really like what Colleen put in her email, that it's the same characters moving without the sincerity of the original film. So mm-hmm. unless you have the sincerity and like the seriousness of like putting in the effort to put in a new story, but not just a new story that's the same thing, but like, an, you know, a good story. You know, just because it's a new story doesn't mean it's a good story. And have some originality, you know, I think that's what makes a good sequel. I think it's like an eternal principle with film, like just in general or, or with story. Unless your purpose with the sequel is to specifically, like, milk the last remaining drops of money... <laughs> from the diehard fans, you know, that will always go to this franchise or that will always go see the movies in the series. Like, you just can't win. I don't think there's anything dignifying in putting out the same thing over and over. You know, I would think that animation, you know, is one of those industries with character. Animators try and directors try to preserve, like, the magic of animation. And I think it loses that, that quality, and you lose your dignity as a studio if you keep putting out the same dang thing over and over. I don't know if that sounds like too strong. No, it's fine. But it's kind of like an abuse of what of the magic of animation. Yeah, I think going along with this, the poster child of sequels gone wrong are the Land Before Time series. Mm. Oh. Yeah, like seriously, that's what you think of, and you're like, oh, sequels, yikes. Oh. There's there's too many. Like they just get lost in the mix. They become unimportant and irrelevant. You might as well have just made a TV series out of it. 
So that way you don't get ridiculed for having 14 sequels that are just laughable. <laughs> and there's my point. Do you think that pe- when you mention Land Before Time, can you think of anyone in your life who really takes those films seriously? I did up until like the third one. Okay, well, that's the third one. There's like, like 27. Now. I know. <laughs> but like, that's what I'm saying. Like, as, as a child, I, I went into, I loved Land Before Time. It was awesome. And I thought, oh, they made another one. I can't wait to see it. Oh, I can't wait to see how this story continues. And I just went into it having all these great hopes. And then I watched it and I'm like, well, that was less than, less than awesome. <laughs> so right. yeah, it's like, oh man. No, I think there is a big lure with sequels is to, like you said, Mason, to tap into that fan base and to, you know, you already have instant fans who love the movies, who buy the merchandise and will buy more. You know, I think we talked about Swan Princess two episodes ago and the first one is great. I love it, you know, but he made the money back from, you know, the first one, which was actually a flop box office wise. He was able to make some money back by doing sequels two and three of Swan Princess, which helped him fund future projects. So I've tried to watch those and I don't find really anything in them. It's kind of a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Like, I need money. We need this to fund our future thing. This is easy. We know it's going to make X amount of dollars. It's going to cost us this amount. Let's do it. Yeah, at yeah. that point, it is the sequels to The Three Little Pigs. You know, they were well-received, but at the same time, it was like, they weren't that great. And we don't remember them many years later. No. Even if you looked it up, I don't think you could actually find them. Um, oh, you could find it. Uh, well, the great internet, remember? It's true, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but this takes us to another question. Uh, there are some good sequels. And there are some that it's like you continue on and they have that great story. Like Mason said, I love a good story. And if they put everything into the story, even if they don't put everything into the animation of it, you still get something out of it. And you're still able to appreciate it for what it is being a good story. But let's let's go back to the very first sequels that Disney started putting out straight to DVD. Ah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, so our question was, are sequels canon? Let's go back to Aladdin. Okay, Aladdin, yeah. <laughs> Aladdin was the very first movie that Disney put out direct to DVD or direct to video sequels. Now, you got the first one. Excellent. I don't think you could get much better than Aladdin. Like, Well, that's not a sequel. Exactly. But I'm just saying, like, as of the story itself, the basis of a story, Aladdin was awesome. And everybody wanted more pigs. <laughs> yes. So... Disney said, okay, we will give them more pigs. But then they came out with number two. Now that was Return of Jafar. Return of Jafar. Yes, the Return of Jafar. I remember seeing, when I went to the Disney store with my mom, I remember seeing the DVD or the VHS of Return of Jafar sitting right by the counter and my mouth dropped and I remember thinking, mom, we have to have this. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We we actually have it at our house. Oh, we have it too. I mean, (laughs) we don't. We bought, I think we bought it right then. And I remember watching it a lot because for me as a little kid, and it was just the extension of that show, which I just wanted to get my hands on. Yeah. And it never been heard of before. There were never su- there was no such thing as sequels for an animated film. Yeah. So like people, namely us, were very <laughs> excited about these and we wanted more. My but- parents, on the other hand, not so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually watched it at another friend's house. So my parents never actually bought that one. But I was really glad about that because <laughs> I'll tell you what. I tend to forget about this one purposely because, you know, first of all, they took the original voice of Genie, Robin Williams. They took him out and he was... And the Sultan. And the Sultan. And he was replaced by Dan Castellaneta, 
best known for his voicing Homer Simpson. And oh. yeah, well, he's like, very talented. He's, he's extremely talented. But he's not Robin Williams. And as a kid, you notice that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but but it's not the same. It doesn't have the same like essence, you know. And they threw in Jason Alexander in there just to you know maybe pump up the ratings because he was really big in um, Seinfeld at the time. And so many six year olds watch Seinfeld. I know. <laughs> like whatever. Who's uh who's Jason Alexander? George. Oh, he plays uh plays George yeah. Costanza. <laughs> George. Oh, why didn't you just say George Costanza, did he? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Who did Jason Alexander voice for? He, vo- uh, he voiced for the... The bad guy that rings Jafar back. The little fatty. Yeah, yeah the, the thief guy, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. And so they could have skipped over that one entirely in my mind. I mean, I just, I did not like that movie. But I'm sure it wasn't a flop. I'm sure it made money. And for them, it was something that funded the machine. The thing is, Return of Jafar is huge in direct-to-video sequel market because that is the one that started it all. Obviously, it made enough money for them, significantly, for them to greenlight every other animated Uh film we've ever done, even the ones from 50 years ago. We're going to do a sequel. This is worth it to us. We're going to have it be, you know, animated somewhere in in Asia, really cheaply, and we're going to bring it back, and we're just going to, you know, put it on all Cartoon Network and Disney Channel, market it there. People are going to buy it. It's going to make a huge profit. And we're going to be happy. Eh, the animation's not so good. Eh, the story. But whatever. It, it brings us the cash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, like, horrible. It did have some redeeming qualities. Like, Jafar had his villain song in this movie. <laughs> you know, like, yes. every villain should have a song for himself that he sing, he or she sings in a Disney film. Jafar had to wait till the sequel. So, I guess it's good that he had it. Not sure if it's a good thing that it happened in the sequel. Yeah. But there's a couple things that are really weird about this film. Number one is that Aladdin, even though he becomes the prince and is with Jasmine, he's still not married to her. Yeah. And he's still running around in, in his thief clothes. <laughs> hey, it's It's like, going. dude, I mean, you're with Jasmine now. I'm sure she can hook you up with, like, a better wardrobe, you know? Yeah. Or these are just, like, your comfort clothes, you know? <laughs> And then, um, yeah, if you look at the genie, though. you know how genie was freed in the fir- at the end of the first film. Yes, his and his gold bar handcuff, divine handcuffs, come off. They're back on in this film. Yes, that always bothered me. They're back too. But then again, it did bother me the way he looked without them. I know. <laughs> okay, which which makes me think this is my theory here <laughs> is that Return Jafar is just a dream. <laughs> That Aladdin had, you know, like, you know, the theory that um, Ash from Pokemon was in a coma yes. uh, starting with the bike accident yeah. and until the end of the series. <laughs> I think this this movie's at. No, no. Hear me, hear me out here. Oh, I think I, this I, is actually I, a dream with this because Aladdin is still in his thief clothes. The genie is still in his, you know, divine bonds of geniehood. Yeah. And everyone is and They're not the same voices. So I think it's, it's not- just a dream that Aladdin had. And that um, number three, the, the King and Aladdin and the King of Thieves, is a direct sequel. Mm. Because in that sequel, he finally gets down to business with marrying Jasmine. Right. But in this one, there's even like a doubt there that Aladdin can provide for Jasmine. I think I remember something about Return of Jafar, like the Sultan had kind of this relationship issue with Aladdin or or Jasmine, something like that in the second film. I didn't bother to rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it since I first watched it, but. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more plausible it sounds. Yeah, you know, if they would have prefaced it with that, I think I would have accepted it more, because at the moment, I just don't accept that one as being real at all. 
But did this film did this film have an intro by by the 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 uh, the relics peddler from the first one? You know, who's actually the genie? Uh, I don't remember. Don't remember. Because I know he wrapped up the end of King of Thieves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Nah, I'm not going to go into it and try and watch it to find out, though. Like, uh, well, that's the thing that bothered me about the Return of Jafar. A lot. They're not married. Yeah. You know, and the very end of the first one, they it, it's kind of assumed that they are married. Like, he's wearing kind of formal wear, and she's wearing, like, a white gown, more or less. And they're floating on the carpet, and they kiss, and they go away. But it bothered me, because I'm like... Oh, you just you just switch that on us, and you just you're changing reality. <laughs> exactly, it's, it's it's not reality; it's a dream yeah. or it's a coma. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, hey, did you notice that they got the a different voice actor to, to do the magic carpet in Return to Far? Also, <laughs> wow, you know that was you know that's low budget if they have to do that. <laughs> but you know, this takes to the next one, King of Thieves. I love that story, and I consider that one as part of the canon of. Aladdin. Mm-hmm. And I just, I do. And having Dude, Robin I, Williams back it was a good help, too. I watched that one over and over again, okay? Uh, I still I still remember the previews. Brought to life again by the one and only Robin Williams. <laughs> yeah, they but had yeah. to push that one a lot. But I think that helped, having Robin Williams back as the genie, because it brought back his humor, yeah. and so they could animate off of that humor. You know, Robin Williams, he did like six hours of improv yeah, totally. That was recorded, and they had to cut, you know, all of it, you know, of course. You know, depending on if you animate after the dialogue or you do your dialogue after the animation, I'm pretty sure the latter is a lot more difficult. Well, they I- got to hear Robin Williams do his thing again, and they got to animate all the fun stuff that he was thinking of. Like yeah. the, SWAT, the SWAT team part, where where Aladdin's... <laughs> a repo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that different? No, same part. Yeah, where um, Aladdin's father walks in, the genie finds him, and he like... <laughs> Multiplies into like a 500 SWAT team member. <laughs> it was funny. Geronimo, Arepaho, Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing with, you know, having someone comedically great as Robin Williams is his material was better than the A-list screenwriters. And so for the return of Jafar, they didn't have Robin Williams to overwrite the stuff that the C-list screenwriters had written. So it was really bad, all mm-hmm. of his dialogue. And then this one, they just brought him back and he brought great things back again. This is my thoughts. Like, two, could have forgotten about it. Three, I consider that canon. But, you know, that also goes to all of the other movies. Are they canon? I don't think... This isn't a pick-and-choose thing. I'm sorry. I don't think you can pick-and-choose what is canon and what isn't just based on your preferences. I think there's there's layers of canon uh-huh. um, in series. Obviously, the first one is canon. Yeah. Direct-to-theaters, theatrical release, also canon. No, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. Direct-to-video... A lesser form of canon to the point where it can be forgotten about, but I think it's still considered <laughs> canon. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, you know, I don't. If your character is not featured on Disney's House of Mouse, um, I don't think it's considered in the canon. Interesting theory. That is an but interesting theory. I don't know about the whole layers of canon. I think if you just cut out all the sequels, because I mean, well, some of them are good. Rescuers Down Under isn't McLeach like considered like a major Disney villain? Yeah, but that was theatrical. Mm-hmm. That's right. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was uh, It was the only, I think, you know, Disney animated classic sequel that was released in theater. And apparently it did so horrible that Disney decided to do direct-to-video sequels from then on out. Oh, oh that's sad. I like that one Me a too. lot. Yeah, I love it too. It's it's better animation than so. the first Rescuers. Well, you yeah. know, it's more crisp. They threw in some CG, but it's not that obvious. And I like McLeach. I think he's a good villain. Yeah, yeah. he is. I and like that one some, better than the first, actually. Well, they did some new stuff with the 
the film. It's not just, okay, we're these lovable forest critters that help you out. Some of them, like, do outright harm to other ones. Remember when the little nurse mice, like, <laughs> were operating on the poor yes. albatross? And then um, you know, the, the whole thing about this, like, the eagle being the, the object of desire. Yeah, the giant golden eagle being the object of desire for McLeach and the boy. It was just different. But it was a good different, and the story was cool, you know? Plus, McLeach has a double-barreled shotgun with a scope, which I think is really cool. <laughs> he must have had the choke cranked up real high on that. Oh, baby. yeah. So what do you think are good sequels? Well, I was I was looking through... Okay, I've seen a lot. I've seen a, quite a few Disney sequels. You know, I saw Pocahontas 2. I saw Return of Jafar and Prince of Thieves. And going over my list of sequels that I did like, it's they're all theatrical releases. Mm-hmm. And they're all non-Disney Pixar. I love Madagascar 2. I thought they did a great job expanding the stories of all the main characters, and they did some new stuff, and the animation looks a lot better. Yes. Um, I love all the Wallace and Gromit series. The first one where they go to the moon and it's made of cheese is really basic, but the ones yeah. after that are really good. Yeah, Armin does then, a really good job. And I thought Kung Fu Panda 2, for a little lack of a story and a little lack of like cohesiveness as the first one, like it didn't have as much heart as the first one, I thought the animation and the colors were beautiful. And I thought the character design was really cool. So I liked it. But that's that's my short list. That's three films. Yeah. <laughs> For me, the only ones that really stand out are, like, the Toy Stories. Yeah. They improved upon it every time. I liked each one more than the last. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't think you can say is possible. For yeah. majority of the sequels, you like it less to some degree. But this mm-hmm. one, I mean, I look, I see Toy Story 2, I'm like, wow, Toy Story 2 is better than Toy Story 1. I see Toy Story 3, I'm like, wow, well, that's better than, <laughs> excuse me? Uh-huh. Well, I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think Toy Story Two is better than the first one. That's just me. But they are great. They're not horrible sequels. That's the point. They're good. Eh, we like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think even with direct theatrical sequels, there's a trend I see a lot in DreamWorks that they go way too far with this, where they bring it into two, three, four sequels. I mean, yeah. if you look at the Shrek series, there's four Shreks and Puss in Boots, yeah. which is a you know kind of a spinoff series. And it's well, just don't forget the Halloween special, Scared Shrekless, oh, and the Shrek Holiday special. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to me, after even like the second one, it becomes irrelevant. Yeah. And then the fourth one, it's like, whatever. It, they, they did incredibly well in theaters. Everyone saw it. I mean, they made so much money. There's so much resources right there that people can tap into that it's instant money for them. Mm-hmm. People will see it. And I don't think any of the Shrek ones are necessarily better than the Shrek original. Like, if I'm going to watch a Shrek film, I'm going to watch Shrek. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to watch, like, a Swan Princess film, I'm going to watch the original. I'm going to watch Swan Princess. My mom, she when I was little, she bought Lady and the Tramp 2, Scamp's Adventure. Oh, yeah. We have oh, Scamp. And I remember I was really excited to watch it, but I watched it once. And I feel so bad. Like, even to this day, I don't know why I feel so bad. Like, <laughs> my mom bought this movie. I watched it once, and I never watched it again. Like, it was just kind of throwaway. If I'm going to watch a Lady and the Tramp film... I'm going to watch the original. Yeah. I think it goes to the replay value. Does it have replay value? Is that a good story? Um, Mm. Yeah, there's very few that I feel like, I'm going to watch this film because it's awesome. Mm -hmm. So let me get this straight. There's actually a sequel to Swan Princess? There's two of them. them. Oh! Yeah. Were they any good? They've got a rap session. Oh, that's right. I remember that. So just replay that rap in your mind, and that's all you need to know about how yeah. good they are. That's, I think that was the only major thing different about that movie than the first one. Um, something interesting, sequels, they're rehashing, you know, 
feeding pigs with pigs. They're doing the same thing. If you look at Little Mermaid 3, which is kind of a prequel, Return to the Sea. There's a third one. Oh, yeah. Well, no, not Return to the Sea. Little Mermaid, Ariel's Adventure, or whatever it's called. The character essentially is Ursula's friend or henchman. Stepsister. And the, yeah, the plot is the exact same. Uh-huh. This octopus lady is wanting to take over the kingdom. She wants the trident and yada, yada, yada. It's, like, so laughable about how similar it is. It's just Ariel as a little girl and the exact same villain with the exact same motivation. Uh-huh. Like, it's embarrassing in a you way. Have thought, yeah, you would have thought with the animated uh, cartoon series that they put out that they were, like, done with all that. With all the crazy schemes to take <laughs> over the kingdom, Triton's Trident. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of Jetsam. See, now, I actually liked those as a kid. I liked the different cartoons that they put out. But I had that mentality of this is the cartoon. You don't really have those same expectations as you would with a theatrical release. Like, you just expect it to be kind of less, the cartoon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I think Disney sequels are the most fascinating here. I think y'all would agree. Um, it's just the whole psychology of it, the marketing. So, what Disney animated classes have they not made sequels for? Hmm. Black Cauldron. Nope. <laughs> Snow White is one of them, right? Yeah, Snow, Snow White. White. Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Thank goodness. Oh, don't touch that. Please don't. Sleeping Beauty. Um, um, Aristocats, right? Yeah, they didn't do Aristocats. Robin Hood. Oh, good. I hope they never do. Yeah, I like No, them. did they make a sequel? No. No, they didn't. There's they even did. a sequel for Atlantis. Didn't even I, I, saw the, I did. I, I saw I the previews the for it, and I was going to barf. Like, the animation is terrible. Like, it's Flash animation, basically. Oh, jeez. Um, Home on well, the Range. Just, <laughs> Home on the Range, that's right. I just know that some, that some Disney marketing person, like, listening to our podcast, is like, oh, that's right, we didn't do another Oh, sequel. let's open that one up. Green, oh. green light. i got to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but actually, recently, I think Disney has stopped making sequels within the past few years since Bob Iger's taken over. One of the last ones they did was either Little Mermaid 3 or Cinderella 3. I remember Little Mermaid 3, and they made it sound so epic when they released it. Yeah. They make them all sound extremely epic. Because I remember, I remember, Morgan, I remember writing you about that when I was in Argentina. Oh, really? Yeah. Because <laughs> I saw a poster for it. I was like, oh, boy. It's yeah. poor, poor people. <laughs> <laughs> It's like taking candy from a baby. (laughs) (laughs) What else? Yeah, I guess that's... I'm sure there are others. So we probably aren't going to see any direct-to-video sequel sequels. Like, there's probably not going to be a Snow White 2, Sleeping Beauty 2, because they've kind of gotten rid of doing this. So they say. I mean, they have done the Tinkerbell series, which is all direct-to-video. And there's sequels to that, but... It's more of a shoot-off or a... a, What do you call that? Spin-off? A spin-off, yeah. Yeah. But that was never actually released in theaters, the first one. Right. True. So, I mean, like... Did they do a third Peter Pan sequel? You know, there was the second one where it's like oh, Wendy's daughter. Wendy's daughter. Oh. Jane. Did not like that. I don't think they did. Oh, did they do a Tarzan sequel? They yes, did a, yeah, um, they did. He's a little well, they did kid. A, are you sure? Yes. Okay. Well, I guess you're. I guess you're the experts on Disney sequels. You've seen a lot more than I have. You th- I've never seen it, but I know it's when he's a little kid. No, it's because the animals. Okay, I saw this. Marissa bought it. Um, <laughs> it was like the animals are telling stories to Jane of his oh. child. Oh. <laughs> and so they're there, but they're not like gotcha. <laughs> really there. Nice. So Disney did a lot of these things. Like you look at Cinderella <laughs> two. They do like these mini shorts. Yeah, little little vignettes of like uh-huh. what was going or, on in Cinderella's uh, life. Beauty and the 
beast too. Right. Yeah. The enchanted Christmas. <laughs> Let's tell stories of things that happened Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy, I hated that Christmas. Forte was out of control. <laughs> One too many drinks at the Christmas party. <laughs> oh, did they make a Hercules too? Like a sequel? Uh, no. No, they had the cartoon. Yeah, cartoon series. They had the cartoon, and then they had a couple sequels for Emperor's New Groove mm-hmm. and a cartoon series. Yes. Emperor's when Cusco New School. was like in school or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't make sense if he's an emperor, why would he go to a public school? <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> whatever. Okay, so last thoughts on sequels. Okay, you don't want it to become characters moving around without the sincerity of the original film. And it has to do with your animation team, and it has to do with your story. And it has to do with you just wanting to, to milk the fan base and not have any, like, you know, decency in your in your series here. Yeah. That's my view. If it has a good story, and typically, sometimes, not all theatrical sequels are good, but <laughs> some theatrical sequels are good. It goes and back most, to the story. Yeah, and a lot of directed videos, and I don't know. It's how much time did you put into this story, and like the reason why they go direct videos because they know the story is not that great. They're not going to put that much into it. Yeah, so that's my bottom line. Sequels. Yeah, my last my last point is like you said about the animation. That's one thing I think that really makes makes these films different for me, at least the original sequels that they did. I think the animation has gotten better um, over the years, but when the characters don't even move the same, they don't even look the same Mm -hmm. as the originals, it's just... I don't like it. I feel like I'm watching a piece of junk rather than the masterpiece that the original was. I don't like watching it. I don't want to waste my time. I'd rather watch the original. I think a lot of sequels are just a big money ploy. I do consider them canon, and despite all that, I do like watching sequels from time to time. <laughs> I like seeing more about the characters I love. I guess I get I guess you watch the Disney sequels for the same reason I watch like all 20 of the Godzilla films that I own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cuz you love the characters. Yes. Well, that was our discussion. Perfect. Now on to the theater. <laughs> All right, folks, well, we're going to go right into our main discussion here. The movie we are discussing today is Madagascar by DreamWorks. And just a little note, you're going to notice that Morgan's not here in this part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she did say she's getting married this week, so she, I guess, I guess that's an excuse to to not have an episode. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just me and, uh, me and Chelsea. She's going to be my wing woman, uh, during this part of the episode. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I am Maverick. You are Iceman. So, <laughs> Ice, Ice woman. woman. There we go. <laughs> yep. So this will be some good Mason Chelsea bonding time here on the podcast. <laughs> Hopefully, you won't turn into a sing off again. So. <laughs> are you much of a singer, Mason? I do like to sing, but I'm not as uh, high profile as as other people about it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yep. There you go. All right. So Madagascar. The uh, movie came out in 2005. Uh, like I said, it's by DreamWorks Animation. So this was the, uh, you know, you look on the posters and it says, from the creators of Shrek and Shark Tale, because we all remember that one. Okay, so Madagascar is DreamWorks, right? Yeah. Okay, so Morgan and I used to write letters uh, while we were while she was in Texas and I was in Argentina. And so we had this, like, two-year Disney quote-off by mail. <laughs> and one time... Like a Disney movie quote off, it was always great. And 
we decided to do a Pixar part where we just do Pixar movies. And I was having a hard time thinking up quotes. And so my roommate, I, I looked at him and I was like, hey, do you know any Pixar quotes, like quotes from Pixar movies? And he's like, what, from Madagascar? <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh, dude, come on. <laughs> I got all mad at him. Madagascar is not Pixar. I think people just think that every 3D movie is Pixar, which is good because when you think good 3D animated movie, you should think Pixar. Right. But it's just not the case anymore, you know. Well, I'm sure Pixar doesn't mind. I'm sure they don't. I'm sure DreamWorks doesn't mind. Yeah, I don't. I, any press is good press, so. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so not that long ago, 2005. Now, this year, 2005, that's a year before I graduated high school, and it shows. <laughs> just like, just some general comments out there. In my opinion, it's not the best animated movie, but it makes up for it in kind of a new concept, you know, new visual concepts. And so going into this discussion, we'll show, you know, some of the stuff we liked about it, what we hated about it, and interesting things about it. First question for you, Chelsea, is when you first saw this movie, what did you think? What was your original thoughts? My original thoughts thoughts. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't really gravitate to this when it came out. I think I might have seen it in the theaters. We had it, and I think I might have seen it at home. I'm not sure where I saw it, but it wasn't something that I like. I really latched onto as far as the replay value. I remember when I was, let's see, I, I would have been a junior in high school, and I remember my girlfriend at the time wanted to drag me to see this, and I was like, no, it looks dumb. And uh, she wanted to see it just for the penguins, actually. Oh, really? She, yeah, she even brought a stuffed animal of the uh, private private penguin, the kind of naive one. <laughs> no, her friend did. Yeah. One of her friends brought a, one of the little penguin plushes to the showing. So, anyway. Wow. That's hardcore right there. It is hardcore. And I was like, the animation looks so dumb. And she was like, that's the point. And that's one of the <laughs> points we're going to... I guess that's one of the points we're going to make about the film. Madagascar is different visually. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's a unique character design. And, and the big point of the movie was that the character design uh, was not supposed to be realistic. You're supposed to have a real cartoony look, and they want broad movement, you know, kind of like slapstick comedy. Yeah. But I also noticed that there's a lot of subtle comedy in the show also. You know, to me, the animation looks a lot like the caricatures of different animals. And so the whole film is like that, and so because of that, it fits. Yeah, totally. Uh, when I saw the first one, I, I just remembered how like elastic and how cartoony they were. And in the special features, like the behind-the-scenes uh, featurettes, the making-up featurettes, they talked about that. They wanted to go back to the old like 1930s, 1940s, kind of Looney Tunes-style cartoon comedy where you know characters would go through all sorts of abuse that would like literally, <laughs> literally like rip a guy apart if right. it was in real life. But you know, um, they're flexible cartoon characters, so they can stretch and they can they can get smushed. That's actually one of the uh, one of the twelve principles of animation: this concept of squash and stretch, or squetch, as we called it in my two D animation squetch. class. That's fun. Squetch. Now, squash and stretch is one of the principles of animation that makes that gives animation kind of its illusion of life. But it kind of bends the illusion a little bit. It kind of pushes the illusion. It's all about when characters stretch and literally squash. One of the earliest examples of this in Disney was Pinocchio, the character Stromboli. He was kind of the big, wasn't he the big circus yeah. leader guy who kind of captures Pinocchio? Yeah, he was. Yeah, and his face and his belly and everything would just kind of, his whole body would just kind of stretch and squash. I think you see that a lot in The Seven Dwarfs. And so in a lot of cartoons, you do that. And you see it quite literally in Looney Tunes, you know? 
a character will just get like stretched out to ridiculous proportions, or Wily e. Coyote will get smashed by a rock and he'll just turn into like a slinky, <laughs> slinky Wily e. Coyote. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So that's squash and stretch for our our listeners who aren't like animation savvy. It's a very important principle, and the more you look for it, the more you'll notice it, especially in these kind of slapstick shows. Another thing they talked about with the character design and the animation was an art style, I guess, an art technique called straights on curves. When you're drawing the form of a character, you alternate between straight lines and curvy lines. When you're drawing realistically, you never want to have totally straight lines, and you never want to have concave lines because basically the human body is just a it's a mass of muscles wrapping around bones, and that creates you know a curve, not something concave that dips in, but something that bulges out. Even if it's totally subtle, you'll have that. And so straights on curves is kind of giving variety to your drawing. It's making it a little more streamlined, possibly a little more easy to animate, while still giving it like a cool look. Like, it doesn't make your character look like a stick figure, and it doesn't make them look like they were made of marshmallows, you know? Now, is that the same thing? Like, I remember in The Iron Giant, you talked about how the animators there also had another program that they designed that would do that. They would, like, kind of move the lines so they weren't totally straight, but they weren't totally wavy or anything like that on the on the giant itself. Yeah, totally. So that's, it's kind of along the same things. It's all about giving variety. That was specifically to make the giant blend in more with the other hand-drawn characters. Because mm-hmm. a computer can draw a straight line, no problem. But to make it match the humanly, the you know, the hand-drawn characters... They they did that extra utility. They did that extra software, and they did this. All, they did this in Madagascar also. If you look in the Manhattan scenes, the skyscrapers are not totally straight up. Like some of the lines are curved, and one building will be slightly knocked to the side a little bit, like on a in, like at a different angle. Huh. And so it's all to give kind of variety, not to give this monotonous like robotic feel to your movie. Yeah. And so when animators go as far as to do that, that shows like they put a lot of thought into the character design process. Whether you like this style of animation or not, such as found in Madagascar, you got to hand it to them. They did a really good job of thinking through all the characters. Yeah. Like something that always caught my eye in Madagascar was how they do the nostrils, like the nose of the animals, like Gloria the the hippo, uh-huh. where it's just kind of like this really stylized spiral of nose that goes into her nostril, and it looks really really cool. But it's so simple, you know. Even down to Alex's fingers, which look like little foam fingers that you get at the fair, you know, like right. the go team go team hand <laughs> puppet things. We're you number know? one. We're number one, exactly. So it's really unique. I'll say unique character design and animation it's not my absolute favorite like a little more naturalistic would have been cool for me but i think for the tone of the movie like you said chelsea it matches really well yeah they definitely kept within that theme that they did and as they continued with that theme it just fit so you you get used to it whether or not it's your favorite or it's not it still works Yeah, totally. And so that was the reason I didn't want to go into Madagascar, because I knew that the character design would be so wacky. But it's also what makes this film so unique. What was the Disney, like, mock version of this? The Wild, right? Yeah. Where they they escaped from the zoo? I've never seen it. I saw that one, too. It wasn't my favorite. Really? So I I bet the animals had a more naturalistic look. Like, they kind of looked a little more realistic, you know? Probably. Not as cartoony, I mean. So that's another thing. Another thing that I liked about this movie that really struck me was the humor. I don't know, this movie just brought out like really subtle humor. Like you had your gags that were like in your face, just like falling off a cliff and they keep like hurting themselves. 
Falls or something like that. I don't know. Right. And all the gags that they did, all the nonsense they did on the beach, you know, when they're trying to get home and they're all panicking. Like, that's really over the top. But, like, some of the movements and some of the jokes are, like, really funny, but they're really subtle. Yeah. Well, you look at the, the voice characters for each one of these, and most of them are all comedians. And so I'm sure, kind of like in Aladdin, how they had Robin Williams and he just does a whole bunch of improv. I'm sure that they had a lot of improv with all those guys, too. I'm sure that they, looking off of what the writers have already put in, they can ham it up just a little bit more. So Yeah, totally. I'm sure that they had a fun time doing it. I think that's a good principle that you mentioned there, Chelsea, that the choice of voice actors, and I, I really hope we get to do a nerdy couch discussion on voice acting, because I think we, we kind of established this with the genie in, in our sequels discussion, that the actor that or voice actor that you choose will have his own style, and that'll affect the outcome of your movie, like, totally, because mm-hmm. they'll just say stuff that's so funny that the because, I mean, you look on Internet Movie Database on the trivia and stuff, and you learn all the time that it was like, this line that this character said was actually ad-libbed, and the director decided to keep it in the film, you know? Yeah. Well, it's the same with animation. They'll probably get extra scenes animated based on, like, the improv stuff that you do, you know? Oh, yeah. Most all of the movies that we've talked about have had at least one line or two that were improv. Mm-hmm. The voice actors on here were all, they're all live-action stars, and so coming here, they already have a little bit of a repertoire of just doing funny offbeat things. So it's cool to see them going back and forth. But yeah, I'm really excited to do a nerdy couch discussion next time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, we're in the, when they're in the subway and like Melman comes out of the restroom, he's like, dude, I found these cool fountains. And look, free mints! And <laughs> like, well, I don't know if you know what this is, but urinals, you know, for men, they have uh, those little air freshener. They have those little yeah. fresheners. Okay, you know what that is. I know. <laughs> so I, I just like that their reaction was like, okay, cool, it's a mint. Like, the movie didn't try to be like, hey, look, in your face, he's got one of those urinal things. <laughs> you know, it's right. just like, okay, you figure out what just happened, and then you can laugh, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And there's, like, cool humor, too. Like, it's not just the gags. Like, there's a lot of allusions to other films and, like, other stuff uh-huh. in this movie. What, which I ones remember? did you catch on to? Well, of course, when Alex is chasing Marty down in the second half of the film, you know, Alex is kind of going crazy. Oh, by the way, spoilers alert. <laughs> yeah. <Oops. laughs> I hope that people realize, like, coming into these podcasts, that it's all going to be spoilers, <laughs> especially if they're a movie that's already been out long enough, like seven years now. So it's like, ah, I hope I hope you've already seen this. But if not, eh, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, good point. Um, there's the National Geographic theme song that plays when Alex is chasing Marty down. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. Kind of a slow motion shot. Yeah. So that's National Geographic. <laughs> And then there's the part where the lemurs are in the the airplane, which is the same airplane, the broken down airplane, which is the same airplane that Amelia Earhart flew and, you know, disappeared in. Oh, so that really? was a cool connection. Yeah. So they're inside and they're like, and, uh, someone mentions the FUSA, you know, those predatorial like varmints that try to kill the lemurs. Anyway, they're all like freaking out and they're all screaming. And then this guy holds up, a, this lemur holds up a book that says, to cook lemur. And he says, it's a cookbook, a cookbook. <laughs> That's on the Twilight Zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
is an episode where it's like two cook humans. And then there's a there's a treehouse of horror on The Simpsons where they made fun of that. Right. I was thinking like about the aliens that. Are like, I've it's seen two that cook, on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. To cook four humans. No, it says to cook 40 humans. Yeah. And there's you, another Simpsons. one. So I, I know. It's so funny. I always laugh when he says it. It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. Yeah. And um, there's another one. There's a part where Alex tries to light. He makes a wicker Statue of Liberty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lights it on fire, and something goes wrong, and it ends up burning and, like, sinking in the sand. And Alex just, like, drops to his knees, and he's like, no, darn you, darn you all to heck. Yeah. That's uh, uh, Charlton Heston. That's his line on the original Planet of the Apes from 1968. Oh, that's... At the very end of the film, he thinks that he's on a different planet. Yeah. All it was was he was on Earth, and it's just in the future. <laughs> he goes to the beach, he finds the Statue of Liberty buried in the beach, and he's like, darn you all to heck. <laughs> uh, There's a part where uh, Alex is dreaming about steaks raining on him, and that's from American Beauty. I haven't seen that movie, but that's what it's from. Um, and so I like Madagascar because it's got like humor for everyone. The kids will like it because it's got the quirky characters and the gags, but it's got like some intelligence to it too. As much as I hate to admit it because this isn't my favorite animated movie. <laughs> It's got humor for everyone. Yeah. You know, I went in and I looked at the soundtrack for the whole film, and I was really impressed with how well the music arranger did with finding all these different songs that were very cohesive. They just melded really well, and they created a really good feeling as you went through the film. Um, They got really cool rhythms. Some of them are like islandy type music, but then you also have other songs that you're going to recognize, like the theme from Hawaii Five-0. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Chariots of Fire. That's another illusion as they're, like, like running toward each other. Oh, you know. Oh, yeah. Marty! Uh, right. Alex! And, of course, the I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. And Born Free and What a Wonderful World. Love me some Louis Armstrong. <laughs> so they had what a really a good thing. wonderful day. world. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. And then Hans Zimmer did the score for the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, He's he did. Great. Oh, man, Hans Zimmer is so great. He's amazing. You find him in all sorts of movies. Um, uh-huh. He was in this movie. He also did, like, the soundtrack for The Ring, which is, like, a scary movie. Man, he did all sorts of stuff. I like the theme. Like, I like the islandy themes. I like the theme. Okay, when Alex saves Marty from the Fusa at the end, there's this, like, cool, like, kind of upbeat, like, inspirational music going on. Yeah. And then it's the same theme for when they're chasing after Marty in New York City after he gets loose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. so there's some good tracks. It was good of them to get Hans Zimmer onto the show because cause you know what is his music? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people do you know, like, listen to the Inception soundtrack on Pandora all the time, <laughs> you know? Or uh, or Groove Shark or whatever. That's just his stuff. It's really good. So let's look at King Julian's song, the I like to move it, move it. Yeah, that uh, is the song that took over the world after that this That is the movie. song that took over the world. Like, when I was in Buenos Aires, there were still kids who would sing that song. Like, oh, it's still a big deal. Yeah. And, like, that song alone kind of, I think it merits, like, a big point in this podcast. Okay, one, they had the scene where he's just dancing. Uh-huh. And it's really funny because it's dancing animals. But then they kept doing it in the credits, you know, and they brought all the characters back. And I know that Shrek did their, like, dance party after the credits. Right. But do you think that Madagascar started, like, the dancing animal gag that you kind of saw in a lot of other movies? Like, they did it in Flushed Away. They did it yeah, with they me. They did it with Meet the Robinsons you with know, the T Rex dancing at the end. Yeah. So did this film kind of start like that gag? Well, it was such a huge hit. For whatever reason, the whole world loved this song, and they loved seeing the dancing animals 
do their thing to it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it did. Like that was people are just like, oh, people like that. Put it in. It's just a, that theme of like the end of 2000s because of Madagascar yeah. and every sequel that they put in. Of course, they're going to put in the I like to move it, move it. You know, you know, I always wonder uh, how much money the person who wrote that song made. Oh, like how much royalties they get now that right. like everyone bought the soundtrack and right. that song was playing all the time. Right. And, you know, when it comes down to songwriting royalties, it's not the person that sings it that gets the most money. It's the writer. So, for example, they redid the soundtrack. They redid the voices for the song. They actually had some of the characters, the voice actors, like sing this song. And so, obviously, you're not going to get the same, the same band that did it originally that are going to get a lot of the money. But the person who wrote it will get a a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and totally. I spent a bit of time in Brazil, so I know Portuguese, and I was trying to look it up in Portuguese, and it was just really funny because the translation of it is really interesting. Uh, oh, it's, it's, it's not, they don't just do it in English? No. Like, they, well, they do it in English, but I think also you have the option to do it in Portuguese as well. So they change the words, and it's like, eu me mexo muito. The translation literally is like, I mix myself a lot. <laughs> like, Weird. I know. <laughs> like, it just, it basically means, I mix it up a lot. I mix it up a lot. So That's funny. It is funny. Like, interesting. I'm looking at the Spanish translation for that song. In Spanish, it's Quiero mover el bote, which is I want to move the boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's I funny, it. man. And actually, in, in the Spanish version, okay, so in the English version, King Julian says, um, you got to move it nice and sweet and sassy. In Spanish, he instead of sassy, he says sexy. Which I think is what the original song said. Yeah. But they kind of, maybe they cleaned it up for the English version. They, they gave it alternate lyrics. But like, yeah, in Spanish, they just go ahead and say sexy instead of sassy. Yeah, they don't really care a lot in America. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> they do tend to clean it up a little bit more in English. At least what they put in movies, definitely. Right. Kids, you know, this is geared toward children. So, I mean, yeah. it depends but, on who you're gearing it to. But it's not, it's not totally for children. Like, there's some parts that are kind of like, ooh. Like the chariots of fire part, right? Where where they're like Marty, Alex, Marty, Alex, and he gets all mad. You know, Alex realizes he's mad on the on the beach, and he like turns back. But when he turns back in slow motion, he goes, "Oh, sugar, honey, iced tea." <laughs> so you take the first oh, letters of oh. sugar, honey, iced tea. <laughs> you get yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like an acronym. So I was watching it, and I was like. Well, why did he just say sugar, honey, iced tea? But not until he went on the IMDb page, I figured out, like, why he said it. And I was like, whoa, was that, like, on the script? Or did Chris Rock just ad-lib that or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. If it were an ad-lib, I would be pretty impressed with Chris Rock. <laughs> I know, right? Any other scenes that you want to discuss? Like, any any scenes that stood out to you? I like some of the quotes for this. Like, when Ben Stiller, he's doing the voice of Alex, the lion. And yeah. he's like, the lion is just, like, so into himself. It's hilarious. As everyone's leaving the, the park, he's like, hey, check out my website, 24-hour Alex Cam. Watch me sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That, that's a funny part. Like, there's some good lines. Like, Marty's like, see you later, folks. Don't forget to tip your cab. And always remember to not neuter or spay your pets. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Oh, yeah, there is one part where I really liked. Right when Alex, like, goes nuts, he's, like, kind of in and out of consciousness because he's been drugged up. And you see a reporter, and she's like, last night's dramatic incident at Central Grand Station was an example of what animal rights wackos have been shouting for years. The animals clearly don't belong <laughs> in captivity. Now they're being sent back to their natural habitat, where they will live their lives in the freedom that they so clearly desire. <laughs> I like how she just flat out said animal rights wackos. I know. I was like, that's awesome. There's some good scenes in this movie. I like when they find themselves on the ship in the boxes, and it just starts out with Alex mm-hmm. in the, in this little box, and it's just black all around him, and as he like finds out where his friends are, they like start showing up and stuff. Yeah, that was really cool. It kind of reminded me of a comic book slash the Brady Bunch. <laughs> Brady Bunch. I know, right? <laughs> that makes sense. This is a really funny scene, though, that I saw. There's a part when the lemurs are hiding in the bushes. King Julian is talking to his advisor, voiced by Cedric the Entertainer. And there's all these other lemurs, but you can only see their eyes. So in that scene, those are like literally eyeballs floating. Oh, really? Like that's what the animators put in. I'm almost <laughs> positive because I looked real hard and if they're not real lemurs, it's just like little glowy eyes that are floating in thin air. Either that or they have like little lemur shapes, like body shapes, but they're all like blacked out. Right. Like there's no texture to them. Well, what would and you do? the eyeballs are floating. I would put them in. I would put in like actual fully textured lemurs and just do the lighting. But I guess things hadn't got as advanced as they are now in 2005, yeah. I guess. And so they kind of took a shortcut. But it's kind of funny. I think it's funny. I think it adds even more to the fact that it's like, what the heck? Yeah, super cartoony. Okay, so let's get into the characters of this film. Because I think that's what another thing that makes Madagascar so great is that the characters. I mentioned King Julian. I think he's the real star of the show. I think so, too. He was funny. He's a comedian in Borat and, like, Bruno and, like, the dictator guy. That's all part of his, like, stand-up. Oh, yeah. They did a really good pairing between him and uh, Cedric the Entertainer's part. Those two lemurs were really fun together. Yeah, I like him. Because King Julian, he, like, he's so into himself. And he kind of just, like, does whatever he wants. Uh-huh. And then uh, Cedric the Entertainer, who's, yeah, Maurice, that's his name. He does uh, kind of, like, his antithesis. He's kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Or, you know, uh, I kind of have my doubts. Uh-huh. You know what's funny? If you look through animation and even just, like, characters throughout history, you look at duos. Uh, most of the time, there's one tall, skinny one and one short, kind of fat one. There you go. Like and uh, <laughs> Horace and Jasper. Yes, Horace and Jasper. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them. And one time, when Morgan was up at college, I went and visited her one time, and she was taking a history of animation class. Yeah. And I just, like, sat in on one of them, and the teacher was so funny. And he just went through and he, like, did a whole bunch of these different comparisons between these types of characters. And he's like, this happens all the time. We don't change. <laughs> like, it's true. <laughs> that is the go-to duo. Like, they always have one tall, skinny, and one short, fat. It doesn't matter which one, but it's like one is always a little bit more thoughtful and more normal, and the other one's a lot more out there. Oh, for example, Chris Farley and David Spade. Oh, yeah, on, um, yeah, Black Sheep. And, like, R2-D2 and C-3PO, like, they have different personalities. exactly. We don't change. (laughs) Oh, that's a really good point. I guess the point of the the duo thing is to kind of have some banter, have some relationship between, you know, characters. Right. Yeah, duos are always, always fun. Man, that's cool. So we got the duo. We got King Julian and Maurice. 
I really love Julian. Surprise, freaks! <laughs> he's like, I don't know. Like, this is really funny stuff. And then you've got your main characters. The film kind of focuses mostly on Marty and Alex's relationship. Right. You know, there's kind of like their best friends, their team, and then once they figure it out they're in the wild and there's like a natural order of things and it just so happens that Alex is supposed to eat Marty. There's kind of that tension and then they kind of like Which I'm, breaking I'm not up, sure why he together. always went for Marty. When Gloria is just as meaty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, Gloria probably has, her skin is probably a bit thicker. But, I mean, you look at Melman the giraffe, and he's just, like, he's always sickly. And If I were the lion, I would definitely go for that one. I don't know. Melman doesn't have a lot of chunky meat on him, though. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. I like it when they all turn into steaks. <laughs> that is, that's something, too. I've seen that gag a bunch of times as well. Oh, probably Looney Tunes, man. Yeah, when it's, like, everything turns into their favorite food. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, of course, the penguins. The famous Madagascar penguins. Yeah, they got really famous after this. They did. They have their own TV show. Yeah. I liked them because they were so like, okay, first of all, they're mischievous, and everyone loves mischievous little animals. Right. <laughs> and two, like, the voices are really good, and just like the whole ensemble of all the penguins. Like, you have your, like, skipper who's like, he's like the guy in Jared, you know? Yeah. Kowalski, his advisor, Rico, the psychotic one who never speaks. <laughs> Rico was amazing in the Christmas caper short that they had with the DVD with Madagascar. Oh, really? And then uh, Private, who's a little naive guy. <laughs> I don't know this code, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love those penguins. For one, they're like really funny because their animation is really funny because they like move their head around and like look around like paranoid, you know? Yeah, kind of frantic almost. like Kind of spazzy, you yeah, know? Yeah, spastic. <laughs> and I like when they finally get to Antarctica and they're just kind of like sitting there looking around and like shivering and stuff. <laughs> and they're kind of like, uh, well, this sucks. <laughs> Actually, I think on the TV version, they didn't even say, well, this sucks. Oh, really? It's like, well, this is awful or let's go home or something like that. They censored it. Oh, I was like, that's weird. That's a weird thing to censor. Whatever. I know. Oh, well. But yeah, I love those penguins. And then other than that, it's kind of a small cast. You get the monkeys who were kind of there for comic relief, maybe. Yeah, they were interesting at the beginning. <laughs> you, hire a mammal. Can you read? <laughs> so there's the there's the one that talks. You know, there's one who just does sign language. Uh-huh. And um, there's the one that talks and he's like super like intelligent. Uh-huh. Do you know what his name is? No. His official name. What was his official name? Uh, it's someone that you talk to a lot on the show. Morgan, really? No, it's not Morgan. The other person you talk to a lot on the show. Mason? Yeah, his name's Mason. Isn't that cool? Oh, nice. I was like, you never find characters who are named Mason. It's true. And I'm Mason, so. <laughs> you had an instant bond. I can feel it. Well, I don't know how much of a monkey I am. But I thought that was cool. And it, it wasn't just, it, they didn't just name him that by chance. It was like a comedian who was doing a bad impression of a guy whose first name was Mason. Like, I don't know, some sort of intelligent English guy. I don't know. Oh, really? So, yeah, that's it. Hmm. Just a little trivia there. Yeah, that was good trivia. Thank you. Do you know who the voice of Mort is? The little annoying lemur who's like, you know? Uh-uh, I didn't look at the little The little annoying lemur? Uh-uh. Uh, that's Andy Richter. Oh, really? She's the guy in the Conan. Yeah. Conan O'Brien. Once again, yeah. tall, short. I know. <laughs> we don't change. That's not Joe. Whoa. 
Yeah. And then uh, he was on Elf also. He was one of the writers. Uh-huh. Who was like, yeah. And his best idea is about a peach that lives on a farm. What's more <laughs> vulnerable than a peach? <laughs> I watched that two days ago. Awesome. Yeah, that's Andy Richter. Yeah. And I totally didn't even pick that up that he was... That he was Mort, the little annoying lemur that no uh-huh. one liked. I love Andy Richter. He's awesome. So over our Twitter, at the Rotoscopers at Twitter, we sent out a question for everyone. And we asked, who is your favorite character in Madagascar and why? Yeah, Pixar tweets. Uh, tweeted and said uh, they liked Chris Rock's zebra character. I forgot the name. But he does such a good job with his voices. So definitely, So that's Marty. And yeah, I liked, I thought Chris Rock was like, I like Chris Rock's voice. Yeah, he's got a good he's voice. Got, yeah, she's got a funny voice. I think it works well with Marty's character. So yeah, I totally agree. It's kind of quirky and just kind of like different. He doesn't have a good voice. Yeah, so thanks so much for responding to our question, Pixar tweets, whoever you are, but <laughs> but thanks so much. And I agree, I like Marty a lot. And um, let's see, what's your favorite character? My favorite character is, um, I don't know, I really like King Julian. I think he's the best. I think they but I were also. I also like the penguins. Yeah, yeah. I think the penguins were kind of like for everybody. They were kind of like a really good one. And then King Julian and the duo. I think they added a lot to the story. So I'd go with probably the duo. I like duo. my duos. <laughs> you like your duos? Okay, yeah. cool. So yeah. Um, anything else about the characters? I don't know. I think it's a good ensemble. I think the. I think the sequel kind of goes into everyone a little bit more. Yeah. You know, all the all the potentially dynamic characters, Alex, Barty, Gloria, and Melman, they kind of go off and have their own conflicts. You know. I remember Madagascar two more than I remember Madagascar one. I actually like Madagascar two a lot. I said yeah. so in the sequel discussion. Yeah. That was cool because they brought in more stars and then they kind of expanded everyone's characters and uh-huh. they made chaining. Oh, and then if they had this like you know, love interest. Just between Gloria and... And Melman. And Melman. <laughs> like, so again, the duo. Exactly. Squat. <laughs> oh, like, awesome. Like, it didn't seem overdone, Madagascar 2, like the humor, because it wasn't like, oh, gosh, he's going to do this again. Oh, gosh, the Penguins are going to do something like this again. Yeah. It kind of kept everyone surprised. So, yeah, the sequel was, was pretty good. And the animation was a lot better. I hope so. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if they just wanted to make this, like, really rickety and, like, rigid and stuff, but Madagascar... Madagascar, the first one, had kind of, like, clunky animation. It'd be uh-huh. kind of interesting to see it in, like, Blu-ray or something to see if it's different. But I just remember it being a lot smoother in the second Madagascar. Oh. No. Like, I think the movements were, like, super rigid and, like, quick on purpose. And they kind of toned it down and made it, made it a little more fluid in Madagascar. Because I don't know how much it worked in the first film. Yeah, they probably got a lot of uh, feedback from people saying, ah, change that a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, we talked about what we liked about Madagascar. We talked about the music, the character. Before we go into rating, giving the final rating for this movie, is there anything wrong with the film that you didn't like? I think for me, that was lacking. I felt like I didn't really connect with the characters enough. The story had just holes for me. I wanted to care about these characters, but I just didn't feel like it. And so I think that was one of the main reasons why I kind of just kind of steered away from it after. Yeah, totally. You're right. I think Gloria and Melman are just kind of like static. They're just kind of there for a while. Uh huh. And there's really no like, they're not, they don't take part in the stakes of the movie. So the story is kind of small. You know, it's not as epic as it could be. So, yeah, that's what I that's what I noticed. Well, awesome. Let's rate it. So what are you going to give it? Ooh, put the pressure on me, huh? I don't know what I want to give for my rating. Let's see. Well, definitely not a five. I'd give it like a three-star rating. Yeah. Yeah, Madagascar gets three stars for me. Like, it's got some really cool stuff, but I think they could have done better with the animation. I mean, like, I know it was back in 2005, but 
I mean, I guess they could have done better. Strong points for this movie was a lot of old school cartoon animation principles went into play here. Yeah. But I just didn't, it just didn't have the heart or the depth that I like in other animated films. So yeah, three stars. I'll give it three stars as well. Three stars, huh? Yeah, because you were actually a little bit nicer than I probably would have been. I've, I was thinking more like two and a half. But, you know, I think it's okay. I think I'll, I'll give it a three stars on that one. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for tuning in with us this week. We had a good episode. You know, we had our Nerdy Couch discussion, discussion on Madagascar. We are so excited because we have a contest going on. A challenge, if you will. Yes. So if you guys go to iTunes, and if you want to just subscribe through iTunes, it also helps a bit more exposure for the podcast. You know, it helps so that more people can share in the fun. And if you review it, you know, actually give a, a, a written review. If you take a screenshot of it and then email it to us at therotoscopers at gmail.com, you will be entered in to a contest to receive the Art of Brave book. Yeah, so the Art of Brave, that's one of those, you know, art books for animated films. It's due out May 30th. Once we reach enough people to have like a, you know, an, a good enough drawing, you know, we'll draw for the winner and it could be you. So go on to iTunes, go find the Rotoscopers podcast and write us a review. If it's just like a sentence or a couple of sentences or like, you know, a good description of why you like us so much, then that's perfect. Take a screenshot of it, send us an email, and your name will be put into the prize drawing. And sorry, but this is only for U.S. or Canadian residents only. Uh, if the oh, winner, that's right. <laughs> if the winner is international, that person will have to pay for shipping. Okay, so thanks again. Yeah, we did have a good episode. I think we got through the Madagascar discussion just fine, Chelsea. I think so. And uh, it was great to have Morgan on the Nerdy Couch discussion on sequels. Talked about some good news. Hey, folks, don't forget to visit my blog at thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. I'm going to be posting up more reviews. So, folks, don't forget to check out my blog. It's going to have a lot of cool stuff, stuff from my sketchbook. I've been thinking about posting my final project from 2D animation, the flower sack animation. Yes, do that. Yeah, I'll probably do it, like, next week. Um, All right. It's pretty exciting because I'm putting stuff that I'm going to put in my portfolio to get into BYU animation, hopefully. And so, uh, yeah, check it out. Yeah, you can also check out Morgan Burt at Morgan underscore Burt at Twitter. And you can find myself as well at facebook.com slash this is Chelsea Robson. And I have a bunch of music on there as well. I, you know, some people might be wondering, well, what is it that I do? I'm a singer. Yeah. So if you guys want to head on there and, and like that, come and check it out. And we also, uh, you can do Twitter as well at Chelsea Robson at Twitter. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for coming, guys. Yeah, and as always, you can visit us at therotoscopers.com. We have our Facebook, facebook.com slash therotoscopers. We're on Twitter. We also have uh, Tumblr, you know, as always. If you haven't done the Audible free trial yet, go on our website and do it. Uh, There's also a link to get onto Amazon to, like, order your favorite animated movies or your favorite books on animation, and the link is right on our website, so check that out, too. Do it. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening again, and as always, we are sincerely yours, the Rotoscopers. Maybe I should just wear a cardboard box over my head. <laughs> well, you know, you could do that too. Get a tinfoil hat while you're at it. <laughs> okay. The aliens can't read our minds. Someone get on Google Voice. Siri, how do you pronounce this name? Don't put that in the.
Maybe we'll have a Rotoscopers meetup. Oh, yay. Reunion. Maybe when you go to Disneyland, Chelsea and I will also go to Disneyland. And then we'll oh, have a, a Rotoscopers meetup with, with some people. We should have a film crew who follows around. <laughs> We should have a blow-by-blow blow recording. You know how crazy we'd be? We'd be quoting Disney quotes the entire time. We'd be singing songs. We'd be the songs. most annoying people. <laughs> oh, it needs to happen. So, listeners, one day, I know this will be in a blooper anyway. Listeners, we're going to have a Disneyland meetup sometime. Be ready. Oh, man, that'll be so good. Right. Just because just Morgan, like, texted me the night of her in- official engagement and was like, okay, so I got engaged. But the bad news is... We're behind on the podcast. <laughs> well, like, congratulations. Oh, yeah, we were, we were, like, unofficially engaged for a while. But anyway, the episode... Okay, so I was thinking about this. Like, if we edited this... Like, All business, I tell you. All business. <laughs> Party's over. <laughs> I'm going to my room. I can't believe I'm being sent to my room. <laughs> Thank you, Mommy. Well, there's another one for the blooper reel. Uncles all over the world. A region of King Julian from the Gazeman. I love all the girls that move their body. And when you move your body, you move it nice and sweet and sassy. All right? All right. You've got the woman in black, the man in the yellow hat, and lady in red is dancing with me. <laughs> The epic trilogy of people wearing colored outfits. <laughs> All right, see you later. Ciao. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>